The Lord be with you. It is great to be back tonight. And before we begin, let me make a quick um, note about the retreat in Florida, which of course would apply also to the one we have in December. People have asked me, what is a retreat and, and what happens? What makes it different to any other meeting? Um, a retreat is unique in that we limit the number of people who can come, and it means that we are in the hotel together, we eat um, together, and we try to actually literally eat together with everybody there at one time or another. Um, we have plenty of time to sit and talk and pray with each other and ask questions face-to-face -face on what we're talking about. It's a very personal. People say, well, I'll get the um, whatever, CDs or however you get it these days. Um, well, yes, but that's merely overhearing a very small part of the retreat. Uh, the retreat is a lot more than that. It is that point where we interact together at a very casual level, and together as a retreat, we see things that we cannot put on re uh, any, any form of um, CD, um, because it's just simply the presence and the beautiful, gentle love power of God at work. And so, um, yeah, a retreat is totally different to anything else. And if you want to join us in Florida, the um, we're talking about wake up, you have the mind of Christ. And that will keep us very busy as we talk and we pray and we teach and we see this glorious God at work. Okay, I hope that answers your question. Now, in Jude, I want to carry on where we left off last week. And so just very quickly to um, the, the, the verse 21 is actually the word. It, it begins in verse 20, but he says, um, But you, beloved, that is, he's speaking of the world of his day, the church of his day, that is under great um, pressure from the powers of darkness. And having gone all through that in, in those uh, verses from really from verse 4, and then he says, but, but, you're, you're not part of that. Um, you are walking in the middle of it, but you're not part of it. He said, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then the verse that has our attention, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I talked about it somewhat last week, and um, I, I want to get into um, much more to the heart of it this week, uh, there'll be some little repetition, has to be, but um, let, let's, let's see what it's really saying to us. I, I will tell you this, that one phrase can transform your life. To walk in life, uh, in business, in school, wherever you find yourself, and to know that you are kept inside, inside the love of God. That is a transformation. That is walking in real peace 
and I mean real peace, that is walking in a joy that is beyond comprehension. And so, let's look at it. And first of all, I want to go back, um, and this isn't just an overlap, I want to go back and look one more time at what it's talking about, the love of God, to keep oneself in the love of God. The more I talk with um, average uh, Christians, I find that their idea of the love of God, that is when I would say God loves you, or a verse like this, keep yourself in the love of God, that it's sad, actually, that most would have an image in their minds of a kind of souped-up human love, that, that God in some vague way loves us very much the same way as we use the word, and except it, it's to the nth degree. No, you see, no. Because human love, uh, as beautiful as human love is, human love has God in it just the twist. Sometimes it's, it's not very much, but it's there. It's the twist of the fall, which means self for myself has come in. And human love can very rapidly degenerate into revenge and repulsion even. Um, Human love can walk away from the beloved and say that it's all over. It's human love has very definite limits and is not to be thought of when we speak of God's love. I suppose you could say that human love at its best at its best, is a shadow of of the love of God. But we can't think of God's love in that context. God is love. And that's where you begin, that love is the essence, the being of God. Humans have love, more or less, but God doesn't have any love. God does not have more love today than he did yesterday. He doesn't love, say, shall we say, characters of the Bible more than he loves you. His love is not um, a more or less situation. He is love. He is love. And as I said, love then is the essence of God, meaning when you say essence, you mean if love is not there, then God is not. We're not speaking about an attribute of God. We're speaking of who he is. Or the other phrase I used is the being of God. For God to be God, he is love. Now that that changes everything. Um, it means that God cannot suddenly slip into being angry. Uh, it, 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 I mean, angry in a, in a negative sense, that he's mad with you. Can't, 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 because God is love, and therefore all his dealings with you will be in love. And he's not changeable. It's unchanging. When we say love in terms of God, it's unchanging. As it was, so it is and ever shall be. And so agape, which is the Greek word for love, God loves, 
And I, I wish sometimes that was what we'd gotten used to in the Bible because then it would separate it out from our human love. But agape, which is God love, is person. So never think of God's love as a sort of moral virtue or something you're trying to get or trying your best to live by. No, that, that's morality, that's virtues. Agape, God love. Uh, I cannot meet the love of God without meeting the person of God. You get it? God is love. Therefore, wherever I meet the love of God, I am meeting God, revealed as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And I might say that it isn't even Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot say one has more love than another, because I know some of you have been tragically raised to believe that the Father doesn't like you. Son, Jesus, has all the love, and the Holy Spirit, well, he dances around um, and, and he's generally loving. Um, but people shy away from the Father because he's not like this. No, no, that, well, I won't say what I thought there, but just let it be. Um, no, God is God is God. And Father is, you might say, the great fountainhead of this unbelievable love. And the Son is the speaking out and the definition of that love within our humanity. And the Holy Spirit is that love coming into you and embracing you and transforming you. I say when we meet love, we meet literally the person of God, unchanging God, who can never act contrary to who he is. So I say it again, if he ceased to be love, he would cease to be, because he is love. So agape, God's love, is the greatest personal force. When I use the term force, that's a very impersonal term. Um, but when I use it in terms of God love, we're dealing with personal force. And again, the word in the New Testament would be energy, and yet it's it's personal energy. It's never just, just an impersonal um, power. It, it It is that I'm meeting with this love, which is the very presence of God himself, and nothing can stand before this love. We, we are speaking of the greatest ability, energy, power in the cosmos. Love is... See, when we think of the power of God, people tend to think of some sort of uh, deified atomic explosion. But no, the power of God is the love of God. Love, you see, is the wisdom, the mind, the imagination that created all that is. Have you thought about that, where we all came from? You say, well, the power of God. Well, you better explain that because the scripture would give us to understand you were birthed in the love of God, and therein is the power of God to do all that love wants to do. And so it was love that created us. And so I see his love with, with wisdom beyond my brain to understand, beyond us, his mind, his imagination to create, I say, the whole cosmos, but you in particular. So, creation and you and I 
specifically, find our origins in love. It's where you started in the mind, heart of the God who is love. And he fashioned you by love. The picture in Psalm 139 uh, of him fashioning your your muscles uh, uh, as you're a babe in the womb and fashioning the the organs of your person and uh, as one that is doting over you, loving you. And if we're all created by love, for love, to be loved, then the meaning and purpose of life is love. It's interesting when you go to Scripture, um, you see that agape, God love, is never passive, which again is a picture that people have in their minds of God as a gray-bearded old man in a rocking chair. You know, he's nice, <laughs> kind of a bit too old to get upset, just just nice. And um, we're, we're sort of the grandkids screaming under his feet, and he gets annoyed sometimes. Oh, it's so sad that people think like that. Agape, God love, is never passive in Scripture. We, God himself, love, is limitlessly active, moving, always moving into our lives, into our situation, to become himself there, to reveal, to what manifest love's intention in every person, in every day. And I might go on and say, in every generation. You ever thought of this? Right at this minute, you, you are as old as you've ever been. You've never been as old as you are right at this minute. Um, and, and therefore, you... The, the the minutes and hours ahead of you, there are no footprints yet because, because no one's ever been there. And, and we get the impression again that God is sort of old-fashioned and he stopped getting with it a long time ago. No, he is the one that lives with us on this edge of time. And he is now being all the fullness of himself in in the midst of this generation, in the middle of everything that we are up to our ears in that other generations never have been. He's with us right there where there are no footprints yet. He is right up to date, and it's right there that he is imprinting his love into our lives. And, and so I say it's always movement, always movement in, in love, always a, a livingness. Uh, he never slumbers or sleeps, says the Scripture. He's, he's always working. Even while you're lying asleep, he's working in your life. And so the images that we have of love in the Scripture, they're always of movement. Uh, you, you know the, the one that's prime would be a river, right? You, even in the Old Testament, it speaks of rivers of living water. And Living water, of course, is the water that brings you the very life of love itself, uh, which is the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting to me. It's always rivers of living water. It didn't say, just say 
you know, water, but always living water, dancing. It, it, it's water that's splashing over rocks, cascading. You say, that's living water. And it, he, the Holy Spirit, love, is, is like a river. Why, why, why am I getting excited about that? Well, it doesn't say it's a pond, does it? It doesn't say it's a lake. That, that would be very passive, you know. But no, God comes into our lives not just as a, a lake where it's going nowhere. So, okay, well, God loves me, ho-hum. No, it, when, when I realize God loves me, it means there has come into my life this, this cascading, powerful river. There's nothing much more powerful than a river. You try and get your car stuck in a river and you'll be off down the river. Um, it's tremendous power in a moving river. And, and so rivers carve out a path. Uh, if you know, there, we, we had a storm on the ranch and, and it was heavy, heavy rain in a short period. And, and across the very center of our pasture, there, there came this, this river. And afterward, we realized there were signs that had happened before, but it carved a path right across the pasture uh, and and it only took a few minutes, and then when it was all run and uh, off run of the water, they had left this path that it had carved through the dirt and rocks and changes the geography of the land. Maybe you don't get it if you're up north, but get down here into the desert southwest, and you see when, when there is a gully washer, they use that term, it gully washes. And, I mean, there's something there that wasn't there before. A river came through. That's the love of God. The love of God um, in, in the most beautiful fashion overwhelms us. He changes the geography of our lives. He changes the very patterns of our thinking. It's the splashing, cascading, dancing sound of a river. I mean, it's almost the poster for joy that brings wholeness and peace. That's the love of God, always active, always present, and is not impersonal, but the very personal presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing into us the love of the Father, the love of the Son. Huh. And so agape is, is, well, I just said it, it's the Holy Spirit bringing this um, glorious power. Um, and, and when I say the word power, I've used the word energy and insisted on their being personal. But let me just add something to that. When, when we say power, that can be cold um, power, but this this God who is love and, and therefore doesn't have it or more of it or less of it and is power, that God that, that wills to be love, that God who is energy and power of love, at the same simultaneous moment is the God who is tender, that is, when I said what I've just said in, in the last few minutes, doesn't sound like too much feeling to it. But God, shall I say, he is original feeling. See, and some theologians say, no, there's no feeling in God. Well, that doesn't seem 
true to the pictures we have in Scripture. In fact, you can't use words like he cares for you. Can't use words like tenderness. Can't use words like compassion unless he's the God who is feeling. The God who comes and I can feel the arms of the Holy Spirit around me, caring for me. Um, compassion is a strong, strong word of, of love. That love that goes to the nth degree and uh, has an anger in it that he will not allow you to hurt the way you are. And, and so that this God, um, he, he's for us. He's for us. God says, it says, you see, in Romans 8, if God be for us, he's toward us. He's on our side. As I've said, sometimes he likes you. In fact, that will be a weak word. The word used is passion and zeal. He's for us. He's with us. He is close. He seeks relationship with us. He, he would now be known and experienced inside of us. So you can't, you can't teach God out of a textbook. I'm sorry. I know. I know that in you know many seminaries they they attempt to do that, and you can come away with a dead you know notebook full of things about God. But that that's not in the scripture. The scripture is always a God who interacts with us, a, a God who isn't a print on a page, but His arms around you and kissing you. Yes, you heard me right. He is never impersonal. He, he can never be imagined as remote or disconnected from us or a separate deity with little interest in us. You, you can't, no, no. A, a God you're never sure of. You're always wondering if he's going to judge or what's the word people love to use? Smite us, yes. And every time there's a storm, there's an act of God, you see, because that's what God does. No, God is love, and he, he, He's walking with us and around us in the storm. So He created us out from love. He fashioned us by love and did so in order to love us. In fact, it would be blasphemy to say that God created us out of love just in order to be mad with us and irritated with us for all eternity. That, that's ridiculous. Blasphemy, I say. No, from the beginning he is revealed to us as the God who refuses to be God without us. It's a revelation of himself. And that's the way he's always been to humankind. In fact, there is nothing... Hear me carefully. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us one thing about God unless it's connected to us. Everything we know of God revealed in the Scripture is how He feels and acts toward us. We're the center of His purpose. And that's why love in the Scripture rises up with, with passion against everything, everything that would seek to separate us from Him. And that, of course, comes to its uh, ultimate in, in God the Son, Jesus, assuming our humanity 
and personally taking us with him into death to bring an end to the race that has been uh, warped and twisted by Satan's lie. And then rising from the dead brings about in himself a new creation that is one with the Father and Son and Spirit. That's how far he will go. That, how far does love go? It goes as far as God himself standing inside your humanity to bring you to the purpose of love. And, and the movement of his being reveals he's not wrapped up in himself. He passionately desires to unite with us. What other meaning can you give to the coming of of God the Son into our humanity? There, just the fact of the incarnation that God joined us in the human race, desires he wants to unite with us. But then as the whole story unfolds, uh, to to unite with every last one of us, passionate desire. Um, he put it this way: the original relationship between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You see, that's the revelation of God that Jesus brought to us: that God is not a lonely one, but you have within God, who is love. You have the Father who is love to the Son, and the Son love to the Father, the Holy Spirit love to Father and Son. And you have this God who is love, and that means relationship and fellowship of persons at the very center. But now, this is what Jesus said, that he came. Have you read this? It's in John 14, 15, 16, and especially in 17. But he says, Jesus came to bring you and I into that relationship that is unbeginningly enjoyed by the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Have you, have you ever heard that before? That, that Jesus said the reason he came was to bring you and I into and to participate in the relationship of love that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit enjoy. Now, that, that's a gospel. That's, that's good news, the goodest news you've ever heard. And, and, and so it would be that God himself would dwell inside of us. And we would dwell in him. Look, this, this is all over the pages of Scripture. Agape, love, is the passion, the zeal of God to bring you and I face to face with him in total acceptance. That that he would delight in us as we delight in him with no consciousness of sin. That's what Jesus came to do, that by his blood he removes him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or Jeremiah said in the day in which we now live, I will remember sin no more. Rather, this life that is in love presents us on the same level. It speaks of face to face. Please let the Holy Spirit confirm this in your heart because I know for many people 
They've been taught quite the reverse, that relationship to God is to grovel and cry and scream unworthy, no good, and that somehow pleases the deity you're saying it to. But you come to the Bible, it's totally different. And this verse, yes, I haven't forgotten where we are, keep yourself inside the love of God. It assumes you are immersed in this love. How do you get there? solely by the gift of God. So stop thinking you've got to do something to get there. God is love, so he owns his love, meaning I cannot do anything to make him love. He totally owns his love. And when he loves, it's because he chooses to love, and he has chosen to love all of us. But I can't make him. It is, you say, well, I, I, you know, I'm doing my best. Doing my best, I begin to give a resume of whatever my best is. Look, it, you can't make God love you because he already does. God loves you because that's the way he is. And you may not realize that. In fact, you might live in a nightmare of the reverse, but then the scripture says you're asleep. And you need to be woken up and someone point out you've been having nightmares. You are in his love and you're there by his will, his choice, his action. Oh, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see that. Do you not know? Do you not know? Paul said, do you not know that your body is the residence of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? That's what Paul said. He's in you. So now he says, keep yourself Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep it. What does that mean? Well, we saw last week, it it, it means, the word literally, keep, it it means to watch over or guard as some priceless treasure has been entrusted to you. And now you're you're watching it, you know, you're, you're guarding it. It's priceless treasure. Well, how how do you keep yourself inside the love of God? What what do we mean there when we say watch or guard? Um, and I know some people believe it would be we've got to sort of hide away from the world and probably the devil in case they should steal the love away from us as we've got to put precious stones into fortresses so in case people would steal them. So they feel we've got to live in our little Christian ghetto. You know, we're we're terrified of the world, we're petrified of the devil, and and that's about the beginning and end of our Christianity. We've got to all, you know, all get in a little corner and hold our hands and pray no one steals it. No, 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 no. It's not, it doesn't mean that. Um, if you're guarding diamonds and precious stones, where they're lifeless things, they're impersonal, even though they may be precious. But um, we're talking about, didn't, I mean, we just said, uh, love of God is the person of God. And that person is, remember I said it just a few minutes ago, the, the most personal, the greatest personal energy power in the cosmos. And you you don't think the world or the devil can steal that away, do you? Um, 
when we say devil, we don't a we don't mean the opposite of God. God has no opposite. Devil is is just a created angel that went crazy, and and, um, and anyway, anyway, uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and the scripture says over and over. In so doing, Satan lost all authority. He is under the feet of Jesus. So no, no, please. We're, we're, to keep the love of God doesn't mean we're now afraid of the world. Doesn't mean that. Um, and and as I say, that we are we're not guarding him who is love. And and, and no, no, we, we we don't. No, this this keeping is a relationship. That means the relationship must be a daily living reality that I am continuing to discover and adventure with and also to interact with in each hour of the day. If you're keeping a relationship, you don't lock it in the cupboard. You, you interact. To keep a human relationship means that you meet with the person, you talk with the person, you adventure, you discover each other. You're, you're keeping the relationship. If you didn't have any of that, the relationship would fade away to nothing. You, you get that? And so we, to keep this relationship means I am now in the process of relating to this love. I'm opening myself that this love himself might relate to me. And I, I am going with the Holy Spirit, my guide, into discovering how great God is and how great he is toward me and to you. See, and of course you could say that if love is the source of creation, if, if love is why we were created, then it, 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 love becomes the ultimate truth, becomes the ultimate meaning of life. And if that is my treasure, if my treasure is truth and the meaning of life, then keeping it would be applying that to my life. Don't, if you found truth and meaning to life, you don't put it on a library shelf and say, I'll get to that in September. No, you, <laughs> I found the truth. I can apply that to life. I found the meaning of life. I'll apply it to my workplace. No, you, you, you can't, can't keep it in a library, but you have to investigate this relationship, whichever way you look at it. You've got to apply it. If I say God loves me, what does that mean when I'm standing in the kitchen making dinner? If I say God, I'm inside of God's love, what does it mean when I'm sitting in my office? To keep that love of God, I have to not only investigate it with the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, but also apply it and ask, how do I live this as I walk with my peers? How does this become the health of my person? Now we're keeping it. Do, do you get that? So you say we keep this love by plunging in to that river of life. Plunging in. We, we 
we allow that to be released. Jesus released into every facet of our lives, abandoned to the embrace of the Holy Spirit, trusting him in every area of life. And what happens, and I say this very carefully, think about it, allowing him then to multiply himself because he then gives himself away to others that otherwise would never have known about him. But they saw him in you, and so he multiplied himself in you. That's keeping the relationship. Uh, I did refer last week to the parable of the talents, but it was toward the end, and so I didn't get a chance to really say what I wanted. You remember the parable of the talents? Um, It is that um, the, the master came and gave a talents of gold to some of his servants and, and told them to essentially to keep it and to work with it. And, well, what, how, what, what do you do? And I, I liken, you know, somebody puts five talents of gold, they're bars of gold on my kitchen table. I don't know if I want to touch it. I, I'm looking around. How do you do that? Well, one of them thought it would be a jolly good idea to hide it from thieves, and then it would be kept. And so he dug a grave for it. And then his whole participation was to sit at the grave and make sure no one dug up the the gold. But the truth is, no, he didn't keep it because all the man got back when he returned was that one gold, whereas gold, if it was kept as gold, it would have multiplied itself in the marketplace and bring an interest. And do you get that? And that's what the others did. They went into the marketplace and and they invested it and they reaped the interest. And, and it was like a great river that carved a thing. It, it, it transformed wherever it went. It was an aid into business and it helped person in work. It, it, it did. And, and the result was it multiplied itself. That That's what keeping... See, if you if you put money under your mattress, you're, huh, it, it doesn't do anything. It's the same when you pull it out as when... It, and, and money's not supposed to do that. And if you, you think that getting in a huddle with your two Christian friends and saying, you know, we're going to pray, we, we won't... You know, devil won't take it away. Well, what, what happens? Nothing. And the, the very nature of the love that is within you is to bring forth after his kind. The very nature of God is creative. And he wills to come into you, through you, by you, into others. That, that's what it's about. How does this begin? Well, it begins... Um, how can I say, in in praise. But we've got to be very careful here. Um, and I've got to be careful how I say this. I, I have been around people, let's put it that way, and and they would give praise to God. But actually, some have actually said it, that as you praise God, 
he is sort of woken up um, to do something for you. The, the, I got the impression that they are actually praising some sort of narcissist who just loves people to shout, you're good, you're wonderful, you're marvelous. And if they shout it enough, he gets so excited about it that he, he feels, well, now you know they've earned the right to get something from me. Maybe I'm a caricature there. But I've tried to figure out why is it that people praise God? Well, let me tell you, um, the word magnify. I've got a friend in Colorado, James, and, and um, he gets into these words in the Greek and the Holy Spirit just opens it up. And just the other day, he dropped this one into me and it, it changed my whole understanding of the word that, that to magnify the Lord is not simply to recite his goodness but it is also to actually release myself, to yield myself, to abandon myself into that greatness that I have now seen, that I shall become part of that in in its manifestation. I will become actually part of what that looks like. God's greatness will be seen. I will be released into it. Now, that changes everything. Um, you, you could say that it, it's um, to praise God is to become involved in that which you're praising about. So you've seen something. So you just don't say words. You've seen something about God. In this case, we're talking about you've seen God is love. And by this time, this evening, your heart could be racing for joy that you have seen the love of God toward you as you've never seen it before. And to praise God is not just to say words of thank you that you're love. It is that you give yourself to this. The words you say are saying, God, how great is your love. But in saying them, you're releasing yourself to become one with that love and to actually be a demonstration of that love into your world. It, it means that the, it's sort of prophetic. You know, <clears throat> prophecy has been, oh dear Lord, made into, you know, charts and what's happening in the Middle East and everything else. Um, you know, the basic meaning, I'm talking about Words in the Bible, the basic meaning of prophecy is to speak forth, to to speak it out concerning God's will in this moment. And then, um, as a very second thing, to, to indeed speak the future in the light of that. So in the light of what he's saying now, then our future, our destiny is sort of opened up. That's the meaning of the word. And so when we praise God and thank him and magnify him for his love, we're not just saying words. We're not just having a good charismatic meeting. We are actually speaking prophetic words, which Jesus said, the words I speak are spirit. They're alive with the Holy Spirit. We speak it into this moment. God is love. But at the same time, the same time we're 
We're announcing our destiny, that because he is love, then that transforms my life. And here we go, let's go and see what this looks like. To magnify God is to free fall into his very being. I don't know where this is going, but I know that I'm going to see and experience and be the imparter of the love of God. So I say again, this begins, this keeping yourself in the love of God is, is not studying the love of God. It's not just lecturing about the love of God or receiving lectures on the love of God. It is that we are declaring back to him his wonders, his love. And we're doing so in the presence of angels and demons and anybody else who wants to listen. But at the same time, we're sort of saying, here I come. I release myself with my words. So to magnify God, to give him praise, is an act of faith. Because you're not only saying who you've seen God to be, but you're saying now, I'm one with this God and let's see where we're going with this. See how this changes my life. See how this river of life carves out a new channel and changes the geography of my life and my thinking. If not, love becomes the deadest, most boring, frustrating theory in the world because there's so much within the scope of love, unless this is the livingness of the person of God. And unless I am one with that, as if caught in the great currents of the river, then it must be terrible just to sit on the riverbank and write essays on water. Um, no, this is a living matter. And it isn't only just you. That's the meaning of coming together as believers, that we, we, we come enjoying the river together and sharing with each other what we've seen in the byways, in the coves, as we've been caught on. And it means in life, whether we're dealing with people or dealing with circumstances, our eyes are on him and everything else is slightly out of focus. Did you hear that? I'm caught up in this. And I have to tell you, I am caught up in this. That love is the very atmosphere. Love is the oxygen that we breathe. Love is the meaning of my today and tomorrows. And therefore, when this happens or that happens and this person becomes a person in my focus. They've got, they've got to be seen through the lens of the love of God. I, I can't just see them as isolated outside of this as well. This is what happens in church and this is what happens in the office. No, I see everything through that lens to find out what's really going on here. And so I say it again, we live with our eyes upon this reality that we are the beloved of God and we have responded, released ourselves into that ever-moving livingness 
the river of love. So that means that's where my eye is. That's what I see. And I see this chap over here, but I see him slightly out of focus, you see, slightly out of focus, because that's, that's, that's it. I've got to see him through the love. I know the circumstances happening, but I can't get sucked into that quicksand. I've got to see it through the eyes of God who loves me. And, and in my praise to God, I am saying, you be here. I'm not just saying, oh, your love. I am saying, you're so great in your love that you be here. And the way I interact with this man is, is because you be here. And you love him. And you love me. And you love us. What are you doing here? Let me see it. And the same with the situation. I'm saying in my praise to God, you be here. And I'm seeing it through you. But maybe at the very heart of it, it is that we love one another. As I said, the love of God is ever seeking to multiply himself, if that's the right word. Um, he, he seeks through you and through me to impart himself to others. And he's chosen, that's the way he's going to do it. And so the whole burden of the New Testament is not that we try to love God. In fact, it says in 1 John that the love of God is not that we love God, but that he loves us. So I don't spend my days trying to love God. Rather, it, it says the one command he gives us is that we love one another. And in loving one another, we are actually loving God. And so to keep myself in the love of God, I must be very aware of my relationships. Very. See, I, I know. We would have it that, you know, I am spiritual and I'm really studying this love of God thing, and I don't want you coming into my life, interrupting me, and you make me feel all unspiritual. So I'm going to lock myself away because I'm a holy man, and I can live without you. That's a caricature of where many people live, sort of. But Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. In that fashion, you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, that's a mouthful. He said, this is my commandment that I give to you. And it's a new one. And the word there means new in kind. You've never seen anything like this before. We were told, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's pretty amazing. And then people say, I live by the golden rule and all that. Now, Jesus comes, and this is the river of life, love, that comes crashing in forming a pathway that's never been there before. Love one another. 
as I have loved you. It isn't like love your neighbor as yourself, which is pretty amazing, but love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did you love us, Jesus? He tells us elsewhere, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So that means we are to love one another with the love of the Holy Trinity. The same love with which the Father loves, the same love with which Jesus loved us, love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on and says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That is not by your not doing this and not doing that and not going there, nor by all your Bible study and charts and they will know you're my disciples because you love with this love that is none other than the love of God inside of you. Interesting, it says commandment. And that's unfortunate because there, there are, a, there's another word for commandment. You know, the Ten Commandments. Well, that word commandment is not the word in the Greek language that's used here. Jesus doesn't say, do this. And we say, yes, sir. No, 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 no. The word commandment here, and if you know anything of Greek, it's entole. And the word that's used, commandment, this, this new commandment, it means an implanted goal. That means the Holy Spirit has planted something inside of us. So it's not an outward do this. It's rather... A, a, a beautiful planting in us of a, a new desire. But the word means actually the impartation or the implanting um, of a vision of the finished product. That is, you get the big picture and you realize this is where we're going. It speaks of destiny. He puts inside of you an implanted goal, a destiny. It's an inward directive, interior purpose, any of those words. It means that the Holy Spirit, who is love, is going to teach me how to love from the inside. He's going to put into me desires that when they're worked out will be loving people around me. It comes from within, not from a list of rules and regulations that I have to try and keep. And Jesus said in further down that same chapter in John fourteen fifteen, this time, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that word. If you love me, you'll listen to what I'm saying inside of you. If, if you love me, you'll get the picture, the reason for which I came, the reason from which I rose from the dead, what I have achieved, you'll, you'll get it. It will be an inward directive that will lead you in a pathway of love. So you don't go around and say, am I loving enough? Did I love that? No, you, you listen. You listen to the river of life. Where's he going? What's he doing? And it's so ordinary. I mean, you don't go around with bug eyes. You don't go around with that silly, soft, Christianese voice that makes everyone look at you weird. 
Now, you know, please, you know what I'm saying. Jesus was so ordinary that he lived 30 years in Nazareth. And when he said that he was the Messiah, he didn't even say he was the Son of God. He said he was the Messiah. They wanted to kill him because they said, who do you think you are? We know you. You're just, you know, buddy Jesus with a carpenter shop. He was so ordinary they'd never noticed that God was living next door. I love that. You know, you don't have to go with a Bible under your arm and read in the coffee shop with a great big Bible to prove you're a Christian. No, please, please. Jesus never carted a whole scroll of the law into the coffee shop. Yes. I saw one chap the other day with a great big badge. He said, I'm a Christian. Lord help us. If you need a badge to say it, I'd give up on it. This is God himself, his love dwelling in us. How do we keep that love? By letting that love loose on those around us, which I mean in the family. That could be quite a project to really begin every day asking the Holy Spirit to gently teach you how to love the members of your family in such a fashion that they will only interpret it as love to them and not you on a Christian kick. You know what I mean? I don't want to get sarcastic, but I hope you know what I mean. There are so many people they try to look like Christians, and, and they blow it in your ordinariness, in your pajamas, in your blue jeans, riding the tractor, just being human. If you read the Scripture, that's what fascinates God. He loves our humanness. If he'd loved our religiosity, he would have become a Pharisee. Where did he hang out? He hung out in the Galilee, which, which was the absolute peasant. They were shepherds and fisher people. There's hardly an educated person among them. And that's not putting down education, but it is saying that the ordinary, the person with no airs and graces, the person with straw behind their ears. God loves you in your ordinariness. You've got nothing to prove. Stop taking yourself so seriously. He'll do all the proving. He, he loves to show himself in our ordinariness. And when he shows himself, it's love. And what is love? <laughs> what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. And actually that word in the Greek language, kind, it means useful. Love is useful. It's there to help. Love is not jealous. It doesn't grab everything to itself and hold with white knuckles. Love does not brag. You're not a big mouth. It's not arrogant, looking down on others. It does not act unbecomingly, or better, it's not rude. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked or, you know, he, he knows how to 
hit my buttons, you know, and I can get so mad. Well, log. And you say, I've got to deal with that anger. No, you, you need to deal with love. For Jesus dealt with the anger. Now the Holy Spirit's working his love in you so you're not easily provoked. And it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It means that you have a wonderful loss of memory when it comes to the painful things people have done. Somebody hurt you. I appreciate they hurt you. Yes, I know they did. But love as you have been loved, then forgives them as you have been forgiven. That will change the atmosphere and change lives. Love, it says, never, never fails. Well, I'm still not finished with this verse, but I trust that you have got something tonight to realize, and in a nutshell, it is we keep this love of God by being that love, by receiving that love and then shedding that love, letting love expand and multiply. And in so doing, we, in this sense, we keep it, we guard it. The way to not guard it is to gather in your little religious groups and talk about the wickedness of the world and and forget you are here to be in the world and to love as Jesus loved. Well, I'm not going to take off again. I landed the plane. And so the blessing of God who is almighty love, almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that love be revealed to you, that love be revealed in you, and that love be revealed through you, so that all men may know that you are his disciples. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.